Hello world and welcome to the Sales Synergistics Podcast where we arm you with the knowledge, tools, skills, and experts to bring your sales, marketing, and operations teams together all through your sales process. Let's get into our podcast for the day and see how we can help you succeed. Hello world and welcome back to the Sales Synergistics Podcast. I'm Jason Smith with Seagray LLC and Asline Training and Development. And we always just thank you so much for being a part of our community here and tuning in to get little nuggets of knowledge we hope we can help out. I am blessed once again to be joined by the incomparable Tom Berger who's been a, a mentor to me for many, many years. And uh, he's very humble, he doesn't brag on himself, so I'll brag on him every chance I get. But uh, for those of y'all who didn't tune in to us before when we were speaking to him, uh, I'll ask you, Tom, to tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and how uh, you help other people in this space. Sure. Um, uh, just a very abbreviated, uh, I was tw- uh, engineer by training, uh, master's degree, eight patents, uh, electrical engineering, but I uh, worked for uh, large companies for 22 years, including 17 years at Motorola, and then ran seven different startups the next 20 years or so, uh, venture-backed startups. And, uh, uh, last eight years, I've been helping uh, entrepreneurs, uh, as I like to say, make new, new mistakes, not the same ones I've made over my career. So I, I just work on a pro bono basis, uh, helping them in any way I can. Uh, helped over the years of about 170 companies and entrepreneurs. Uh, some have been successful, some have not. But uh, I just enjoy helping them uh, any way I can. Thank you. And I'm one of the ones you've helped, and I thank you very much for it. Uh, you've been a comparable help to me and the community that we share here at One Million Cups. Um, last time you were here, we had the opportunity to talk about uh, CXO Atlas, which is the project that you've been leading for many years, your compendium of knowledge that's uh, free and available to people to uh, log in and learn what you've learned over the years to make, as you said, new mistakes mm-hmm. to avoid the ones that you have. And um, we honed in on one of the chapters, Chapter 5, which is about top-line revenue. Um, just as a kickoff to this one, since it's been a while since we discussed this, tell us a little bit about CXO Atlas and why you said in the last podcast that you felt that that fifth chapter, Top Line Revenue, was, by your quote, the most important chapter uh, in the entire website. Sure. Uh, yeah, CXO Atlas is a website. It's all free. Uh, it consists of, at the current time, uh, 583 articles uh, uh, on all aspects of starting and running a business. Uh, articles are typically a page and a half, 800 words long. You can read them in any order. Uh, you don't have to start at the beginning of a volume, chapter, or section. Uh, so they're standalone uh, uh, bits of information on particular topics. So, uh, uh, Jason, as you mentioned, uh, the top line revenue, I think, is the most important uh, aspect of uh, the website uh, uh, in that it, it's really all about uh, growing the business. And uh, as I mentioned in our last podcast, you can't save your way to profitability. Mm-hmm. It's all about profitable revenue growth. And so the top line revenue should be the focus of everyone in the company. Uh, clearly, it's the focus of the uh, sales organization, but it must go beyond that. To everybody in the organization has to be thinking in terms of revenue, mm-hmm. not costs. And certainly, of course, it's the CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me, do you feel like this the rise of success and prominence of the Silicon Valley model to invest your way or, or uh, conjure investors as your way to get to a, being a millionaire or a billionaire. Uh, do you think that's kind of helped to uh, 
corrupt is not the right word, I guess, but just um, seduce people away from the traditional aspect that you're going to go out and generate revenue from customers. Do you think that's been part of that? Well, if, yes. If you look at the media, it, certainly all the hype, uh, these, uh, you know, as they call them, unicorn companies, get yeah. the, the billion-dollar companies. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, at uh, how rare that occurs, there's a different model. Um, you know, during the bubble era, people were talking all about eyeballs, building a company quickly and then selling it. Uh, they said the business rules don't apply. That turned out to be not true at all. The fundamental business rules do apply. Um, you know, uh, Rick Burns, who was the founder of Charles River Adventure, very, very successful uh, firm. Uh, uh, Rick was on my first board, and then I was on multiple boards with, with Rick. He said, companies are not, uh, are not sold, they're bought. And so what I think every CEO, every company needs to do is plan on being in business a long time, having a long-term profitable revenue run. Mm -hmm. If along the way they're picked off by another company uh, uh, through a merger and acquisition, or they go public, that's fine. But you need to build companies based on strong fundamentals. So we have a distorted view of that. It, that's not talked about quite often in the media uh, in terms of Silicon Valley. but. But it's all about building the company with strong fundamentals with a replicatable, growable, profitable model. Amen. Amen. And I, I think that um, that whole investment strategy that most people talk about, I hear that all the time. I'm in my Series A, Series B. But most people don't talk about, again, like you said, Chapter 5, top-line revenue. We have this much revenue right now, and here's our plan to go out and get more. And I wonder if that's because a lot of times the, the idea of the plan for top-line revenue gets insourced, I'll say, to the sales organization inside the team. They'll take that idea of here's how we're going to get money, here's how we're going to make sales, and throw it over the fence to the sales team to get it done versus making it a part of the, the entire organization's mission. Does that feel right? Oh, you're absolutely right. I think, yeah. unfortunately, so many companies do do that. Uh, the financial, uh, the CFO or the financial organization in conjunction with the CEO may say we want this type of revenue growth and, and come up with a compounded uh, um, uh, revenue growth per year and then turn over to the sales organization and say, go, you figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm looking at business plans or businesses, as soon as I see a company that's forecasted revenue based upon a percent increase year over year, I... Uh, uh, alarm bells go off. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a absolutely silly way of planning a business. You have to plan the business at incremental level and build the business up. And so the key here is for a CEO uh, or the organization at the highest level to decide we want to grow our business. And in terms of it could be market share, it could be gross revenue, it could be profitable revenue, it, it could be uh, expanding different markets, but they need to really provide some focus so the sales organization then can come up with the tactics uh, to do that. But they need to provide that that, uh, uh, that level of uh, or that degree of granularity to them. Mm -hmm. Just giving them a number and say, go figure it out, makes no sense at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been with a very major company that was in a high growth stage against two giant competitors, and their goal was top line revenue at any cost, okay? Um, and they did, and they were very, very successful and put these two competitors out of business. Mm. Okay, but you take another company, and I used in our last uh, podcast, talked about Apple. Uh, Apple is not, well, they're, not, they're concerned about market share, but that's not their focus. Mm -hmm. It's profits. 
and they're very, very profitable. You compare them to many other companies. And Wall Street has awarded that, making them the most valuable or one of the top two or three most valuable companies in the world. It's not based on their market share. It's based really upon their profits. So different companies, based on what the senior management, not the sales manager, but the senior manager, the CEO, uh, decides uh, is very, very key and very important to setting the stage. Mm-hmm. So a CEO that says, my goal is just to sell the company, uh, uh, good luck. That's all I can say <laughs> is good luck. Well, amen. Uh, yeah, I like what you said there, to, to take the quarter rope from you. you got to plan to be in business for a long time. That means lifeblood, air, oxygen, fuel, food coming into the body mm-hmm. of the business. And um, that's one of those things that I think that the startup phase, it tends to be, and I, just to clarify, we said this on the last podcast, but uh, your focus for the last few years has been around those startups for some fantastic reasons, you know, your personal reasons for wanting to be around it. But the startup phase... We tend to see people getting a great idea, an innovative concept, and they get that groundswell of success from the founders and the C-level execs uh, working within their network or with whatever pool of influence they built during customer discovery following the, the startup process. And those sales, grow, those sales uh, achievements that they got early on in the startup phase tend to be more of a struggle when they get to growth. And you actually wrote about that. Uh, if I can quote a little bit from one of the, the articles in, in Chapter 5, may I just read sure. a little bit? I'm not great at public reading. Kind of conscious of the objector to it. Public reading, public math, not a fan of them. But I'll read a little bit here what you wrote. The initial wave of customers has exceeded your expectations. Startup phase, right? Your vision is being fulfilled, and all of a sudden, your planned trajectory stops. New prospects are simply not turning into customers. The natural reaction is to turn to the sales organization and ask them why they aren't selling. I'll skip ahead to uh, another chapter. You mentioned there are a number of other activities that can help sales managers as well as sales reps in their processes. And these activities do not seem to attract, attract as much attention, but are equally important for the company to address and to develop a consistent growing sales pipeline. The management must think of themselves as the generals that are well behind the front lines of the battle. I I want you to speak to that a little bit, and I love that analogy of the battlefield. Being a sales soldier myself, Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of being out there in battle against competition and against the status quo. Uh, Tell us a little bit about those components there, maybe in context of uh, some, some companies you've seen go through this. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, uh, let's begin by uh, an analogy I use is we've all heard the story in real estate, the three most important things are location, location, location. Mm-hmm. For companies, the three most important things are revenue, revenue, and revenue. Now, unlike the real estate where location doesn't change, revenue does. So uh, to get the first part of the quote is the first type of revenue that a company needs is what I call referenceable revenue. And the key here is it's not what you say that counts, whether you're a CEO or a sales rep. It's what customers do. Okay, it's not how good you tell people your product or service is. It's what they experience. And so referenceable customers are the key to proving that you've got a product or service that the market will, uh, uh, will accept. The problem is typically smaller companies, where they get the referenceable customers? From what I call Rolodex customers. 
people they've had a previous relationship with, people that are uh, going to give you the benefit of the doubt, the uh -huh. people that are going to say, well, if Tom doesn't, uh, Tom's product or service doesn't work now, I know Tom well enough that he'll fix it later on. So what happens is a lot of companies get a, a spurt of revenue growth based upon their past relationships with customers. But all of a sudden, guess what? The Rolodex, they run out of customers. And now they have to find what I call anonymous customers. And now they go into the second phase. It's I call scalable revenue. How do you do much more of the same or, or get much more results, but you can't use the same uh, uh, techniques you used before? Uh, a good way I explain this to people is add a zero to what you're doing. And for example, if you're the, the let's say you're the uh, CEO of a startup, and you're making uh, a sales call a day, how would you make 10? Well, you can't. Or if you're shipping two products a week, how do you do 20? Now, you don't go from one to 10 overnight, but what quickly tells you, that analysis tells you, what can incrementally expand, going to one to two to three, but one, what are you going to have to give up or change dramatically uh, in order to uh, uh, be successful long-term. And this is a critical item where companies blame the sales organization for, quote, not selling, okay, in this phase. What happens is when the CEO is making the sales call, first of all, he's got incredible credibility just because of his title. I mean, nothing to do with him or anything else, just his title. People will trust them more. The other thing, too, is if they, uh, they've been through the wars, they know what the expectations of customers are, they know what the customer objections are, they know what the impediments are, and those answers roll off their tongue. Okay, unfortunately, all of a sudden you start adding salespeople, even good professional salespeople, mm -hmm. they don't have that body of knowledge. And so all of a sudden, they're, quote, not selling because you haven't given them the tools to sell. Mm. Okay, and so this is one of the critical mistakes in the scalability phase that many companies make is they, they hire great world-class salespeople, but they don't arm them with the right tools and resources. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then finally, they don't listen in return. Um, if you think about it, if there were no impediments to a sale, every, every prospect, every sales call would immediately result in a sale. And we know that never happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, what happens is you run into impediments. And you know, uh, and you often hear about customer objections. And there are customer objections, but they're really, think about the impediments, they're things that are stopping you. And a good sales rep is gonna start listening and hearing what those impediments are. And I can tell you, they're rarely price. And almost as rare as features. Right. Those are the, the standard things, oh, our price was too high, or we don't have the right features. But there's usually far more deeper suited uh, seated impediments. It might be the size of the company. It might be uh, your ability to support. There's many different ones. And so a good sales representative listens carefully to find out what the true impediments are. Not price, not features, but what is the real reason that customers are hesitant to buy. And then they report that back to the organization, to a willing, to an organization that's willing to listen. Right. Okay, and willing to listen say, well, it's our size or it's our market business or we don't have the right partners or we don't, and then take action to support the sales team. Uh, we often hear about you shooting the messenger. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's a normal occurrence in most organizations when sales aren't selling, when in fact, 
they're just delivering the impediment, they're just uh, delivering uh, the message and the impediments other people have to I, I love that. That's something you mentioned uh, earlier. You mentioned responding, not just reacting. When the organization is responsive to the feedback coming from the front lines. Right. That's, that's huge. And it's wonderful the way you framed that because those others, those other challenges that are behind the objections, um, those are things that sales reps can't fix. They cannot increase the size of the partnerships or uh, the, the network that the business is affiliated with or whether or not the business is a part of the right spheres of influence in terms of reputation. Those are things that the business has to respond to. And that's the CEO and the other leadership's responsibility. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the uh Huge mistakes, I think, that uh, companies uh, made, uh, uh, certainly in the 90s and early 2000s, but in the 90s, uh, adopting the phrase, the customer is always right. Mm -hmm. And what would happen when people, and, and I watched salespeople, I mean, I actually watched them, pull out a card and says, the customer is always right. It was kind of like showing the cross to a vampire, you know, the, the Dracula thing. Oh, the cross has been pulled and the, the vampire goes away. So salespeople would often use it, the customer's always right. My answer to that is the customer may not be right, but they're always the customer. Mm -hmm. And so rather than just take what they say carte blanche, you have to look deeper. Well, why did they say that? What is the fundamental uh, uh, reason for it? And so the, the responsibility falls on the salesperson to understand what is the customer objection, but then they could not do it alone. They must, as an organization, figure out, well, how can we address the, this objection? And is it really, is the objection really what they're saying, or is there some root cause to it? Mm -hmm. uh, um, Sashi uh, Toyota, the founder of Toyota Motors many years ago, came up with a concept called the five whys. And it's really a very simple concept. When you hear somebody say something, you say, well, why is that? Well, why is that? And let me give you an example. It's in the literature, but uh, my car wouldn't start. Well, why didn't your car start? Well, the battery's dead. Well, why was the battery dead? The alternator didn't charge it. Why didn't the alternator not charge it? Well, the alternator uh, belt was broken. Why was the alternator belt broken? Well, we never took the car in for maintenance. Okay, so you see, asking that five whys, that technique, is remarkable how it gets to the root cause. So. Just responding to what the customer said is not enough. Why did they say this? And then digging deeper. And that type of analysis cannot be done by the sales organization or the marketing organization. It has to be done by the entire company, getting all elements, customer service, development engineering, finance, um, and even at, driven by the CEO. And uh, when Toyota implemented this, it was at the highest levels. Now that process is throughout that company and through many other successful companies. It's getting to the root cause of the issue, not done by the sales organization, mm -hmm. but being done by the entire company. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I've had other conversations, other podcasts talk about, uh, especially now, in 2019, the empowered and informed consumer is no longer buying products from us anymore because we have the ability through all this information that's available to commoditize just about everything, right? They're no longer buying products, but they're first looking at the processes of how we're going to work with them. What is the relationship that they're going to have with us and how they're going to be able to do business with us and the outcomes we deliver. And that's a holistic process that 
requires synergy between everybody in the organization. Is that, is that oh, a Oh, absolutely right. It's, it's, the product or service has little to do with the overall customer yeah. uh, um, uh, feeling about a company. T take a restaurant, for example. Okay, mm -hmm. um, when you remember about a very good experience with a restaurant or very bad, it might have to do with the actual food that was served, mm -hmm. but it could it be the valet that slammed your car door, mm. or could it be the host or hostess that you could see the restaurant was empty and kept mm. studying what table to put you at, uh, you know, or could it be the busboy that almost ran over you while getting it, or the the waitress that wasn't attentive? Uh, it could be the food, but there's so many other things. Um, uh, Harry Beckwith, uh, a very very famous author, which I recommend everyone read. Um, uh, was, it, most of his books are about the service industry, but he said every customer interaction is a moment of truth. Mm. And just think of the restaurant experience I give. Mm. Any one of those activities could be a major, major problem for you going forward mm. uh, with that company, a moment of truth, a failure. So the thing is, it's the customer experience is mm. based upon many, many uh, different aspects of the business. Some which are in direct control of the salesperson, Mm -hmm. Many are not. Uh, how many of you are satisfied with overseas customer service? Okay, just you can have a great product. If you have one question and all of a sudden you're dealing with somebody that treats you like a machine, asking you a series of questions and won't vary one, one iota from the order those questions asked. Right. Is that good customer service? And, and just think, and we always talk about the cable companies and cellular companies, and what's the first thought that comes to mind for most people? Not how good they did. What was your bad experience of customer service? Mm. So the customer experience has a little bit to do with the product or service, but it has a lot more to do with all these other intangible things that may be totally out of the control of the sales rep. It requires the company as a whole to think about the overall uh, value they're providing the customer and their perception over time. That's excellent. I love the way you talked about just down to the bus boy and the maitre d' in the restaurant. You've got all of this thought and innovation that goes into the rest of the organization, but that one little experience can ruin it where the rubber meets the road, at the tip of the spear. Um, Steve Cannon, who was famous for the, the transformation at uh, Mercedes-Benz and now leading the, the Arthur Blank uh, organization around the Atlanta Falcons, rise up. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, he talked to us about, um, you know, pushing your culture and your values all the way out to the edge. Right. right. Everything happens and everything about that race car is about where the rubber meets the road, where it contacts the, the, the surface of the ground and everything about the organization is translated through those tires. Same thing with any order organization that's moving a product to a customer where that sales rep interacts with the customer everything about the business is translated through it. So if they're not fully integrated, if that tied in well, that disconnect leads to a breakdown in, in that process, breakdown in the delivery of that value and that experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the critical things that a lot of companies miss is providing the salesperson insight into why they're doing what they're doing. Mm. Um, and, and by that, I mean, it's not just a, here's the product, uh, here's the price, but go out and sell. Mm -hmm. Why are we positioned the way we are? And uh, uh, arming the sales rep with that so that they can really head off impediments or objections at the source, not later on. Uh, the worst thing for, for salesmen is to have to say, well, I'll get back to you on that. Mm -hmm. You want to arm them right up front while it's fresh in their mind and the customer's mind. 
And so it's really providing the salesperson with, I call them arrows in the quiver. It's, it's not only, uh, this is the feature uh, benefit. This is why we do what we do, okay? And providing that insight to the customer makes them feel like they're on the inside. You give them an understanding. You know, uh, one of the things, we could do that, but, you know, and explain to uh, customers that, that type of knowledge, that type of insight only comes from an organization that not just provides mechanical support for the customer, uh, with price or for the salesman with uh, with slick sheets brochures a nice website but providing them with the insight into why the company's doing what they're doing mm. very very critical because your sales uh, reps have to be able to think on their feet but to think on their feet they've got to be able to call on a reservoir of knowledge that's been placed in there by other people very very critical excellent guys haven't been in big organizations and small IBM and then smaller groups like Red Hat when they were still small. Now they're about to be IBM. But I've seen the difference when you're an empowered sales rep who understands that the company values you and you have insights into all aspects of the business that affects your role uh, versus when you're isolated in places where you don't have the ability to communicate why things are happening. It not only affects your ability to communicate to the customer and affects their experience. But it affects you as the rep and your ability to effectively convey just from the emotion that people need from you, that you're excited about the company and you're in. And Tom, tell me, have you seen this, this silo kind of come from a lack of uh, an understanding of what sellers are going through? Does it seem to come from some lack of uh, connectedness to the sales rep as a person? that they seem like they're others. I know that me as a military veteran, when you come back to the civilian world, you feel like you've led a very different life and it's difficult for people to relate to what you go through. Does that happen in most of the organizations you see that sales reps are seen as the others and in the good organizations, they're more incorporated culturally and given a little bit more equal status? Well, yeah, but I think that's just one case of a, a larger systemic problem. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, one of my articles going back to my website is I say silos are silos a four letter word. Yeah, And uh, the problem, it comes down to measurement systems, okay? Uh, you can have a very, very successful uh, 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 department in an organization while the company fails. So if marketing is based upon the number of articles published, uh, uh, the number of leads generated, uh, engineering is uh, uh, graded on their on-time delivery of products, you know, you go through the organization, uh, um, uh, finance based upon the receivables turn, uh, manufacturing, inventory turn. Each, each one of us, whether they like to admit it or not, becomes uh, masters at our measurement system, whatever it might be. Okay, and so uh, uh, it's a human nature we do that. And so I think the problem with silos is how we determine to measure the overall success of, uh, of each department. So the most successful companies I've seen, and what I've done in every one of the companies I've run, is I've made everybody in their organization, part of their goals is revenue, mm. okay? And so everybody has got skin in the game, okay? So if the salesman doesn't make his number, everybody hurts. And so that focus, it's remarkable how that can change the dynamics of the entire organization. So it's not just... Uh, Salespeople being a second-class citizen, talk mm -hmm. to an engineer. They feel exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Talk to a marketing person who says, I don't get no respect from sales or engineering. Or talk to a product management person. 
You can go through every silo in an organization and they feel that they don't get the respect that they deserve. Why? Because these other organizations, silos, are working on their particular goals. Wow. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have goals for the department, like releases on time is important for engineering, but uh, resolving customer issues is probably more important. But you have to measure these things. But having overreaching goal for everybody in the organization, whether it's top line revenue, whether it's profitability, whether it's market share, but something related to the top line is the key to get everybody pulling together. That's the critical thing. And that's how you take silo, uh, uh, and make it no longer a four-letter word, make it, what, a five-letter word, <laughs> uh, or a six-letter word, success. Okay. Tom, you, you've hit, as we wrap up here, you've hit one of the most critical things that's come up in all forms of enterprise uh, management, be it software or uh, HR and human capital management. Everyone talks about getting rid of silos and integrating better. And not to put words in your mouth, what I hear you saying is that if that CEO can focus on revenue as the driver and to use Steve, Steve Cannon's analogy, push that value out to the edge, then that sales process, that idea of driving revenue through delighting the customer, being your watchword, your focus, your backbone, then that alone can unify the organization in a special way and break down silos and solve a lot of the problems that ail business. Is that right? Is that right what we it? You're dead nuts on. That's a great summary. And it. It's getting everybody pulling together with the common goal. And, and it's easy to get everybody's head moving in the proper direction. Yeah, that's what we should do. But boy, if you put that in their measurement system, it's remarkable how they will respond. It's We're, we're all uh, uh, natural creatures and, and respond to how we're measured. So measuring the right things for everyone is critical. Wow, we just solved all the world's problems about 20 Absolutely minutes. Absolutely right. Well, let's do World Hunger next. World, world <laughs> Hunger's on next. We'll do that on the next podcast. You get that? Okay. Tune in, world. World <laughs> Hunger, next podcast, 30 minutes to the world being saved. So, guys, I, I just can't tell you what an, an immeasurable pleasure it is every time we get to talk. But getting this dedicated time, which is rare, as busy as you are, is uh, just so special. Because we, we got to go much deeper than we normally do. And I, I thank you so much for it. Uh, I want more people to get more of this from you. Where can people find you, Tom? Well, it's the CXO website. Uh, it's www.cxo-atlas.com. Uh, again, you can read any article that he, uh, in any order, and you can download it. It's all free. There's no advertising on it. Uh, I wrote it just to uh, do a brain dump, and uh, hopefully it'll help you. So uh, cxoatlas.com. Yeah, Thanks. Here's, here's a plug for it myself. It's, it's very helpful. So if you're out there feeling like Atlas... Holding the world on your shoulder, or Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. Um, it, it is a little bit to help you out and make it a little easier for you. But again, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for the next one, and best of luck to you all out there. God bless. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We appreciate you dialing in and listening to our podcast on a regular basis. Tell your friends about us. Tune in next time to find some more fantastic information to help you succeed in the world of sales. I'm Jason Smith, and we'll see you next time here at Sales Synergistics. Goodbye, world.